Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer. Some people don't like the term, but I think, like many other words, it's all in how you say it. My umbrella business is Boom with a Bang, and I think we should keep that in mind as much as possible. We Boomer women don't have a lot of role models as we traverse this chapter. So the goal of this podcast is to introduce you to guests who might incentivize, encourage, teach you to embrace your wisdom, our wisdom. With this incarnation of the Boomer Woman's Podcast, I'm interviewing people who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at boomwithabang.com. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, message me. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. My financial advisor is a woman. So I know they're out there, but most of the financial experts who ask to come on podcasts are men. Nothing against men, but we need the view from all angles. When I found today's guest, I was really pleased. She has a long history in the world of financial advising, and one sentence in her bio caught my eye. Women don't need more products to buy. They want to learn about managing their finances from opening the right kind of accounts to learning how to invest their money. I bring the why and how to women and their money. Okay, that's two sentences, but that's okay. (laughs) Melinda Satterley, welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. Thank you, Agnes. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is going to be great. And we didn't talk about this before, but we're just across the water. I'm in Victoria. Oh, wonderful. Okay. So we're we're practically neighbors. (laughs) Yes, I hope you're having a beautiful day like we are. Yeah, chilly but nice. Yeah, chilly but nice. (laughs) Melinda, I stand by my comment that there are not as many female financial advisors as there are male. How and when and why did you jump into that arena? Thank you for asking that question. That's going to take me back about 30 years. I graduated from UC Santa Barbara and had an economics degree. Uh, And with that, I went into sales and worked for a couple sales outfits selling cell phones back in the day when they were brick phones and bag phones. But I decided that that's something I didn't want to do month after month. And so I was in Santa Barbara and Merrill Lynch was hiring and I interviewed. And at that time, I think they needed a a token woman or two. So I got the job and uh, they put me through their training and I loved it. I definitely realized I was like one woman out of, you know, an office of 15, 20 men, but it didn't seem to phase me. I just went through the program, learned what I uh, needed to learn. Then I moved to Sacramento, worked there for a little bit, uh, and then realized that Merrill Lynch was all about selling product. There's the term churn and burn. Uh, there was a gentleman next to me and oh, he would call these they were older women and he would just sell them whatever the stock of the day and then call them next week and they'd buy it, sell it. And I just thought, this is not what I want to do with my clients. You know, I want more time with my clients and figure out what is it they desire and uh, figure out what works and what products are really fit their profile. So then I left Merrill Lynch after three, two or three years and worked with a gentleman who had his own firm. He was really an insurance salesman, but he brought me on and I was able to can, you know, bring my clients with me and, and just take more time and, and helping them develop their portfolios. Okay. So I always come to these conversations with notes, but I really like uh, some of the talking points that you have on PodMatch. So I'm going to go with some of those. Okay. I think you've touched on it a wee, wee bit, but what's the difference between a person who works at a big brokerage firm and you now? Yes. The biggest difference is the brokerage firm has their parameters of what they want you to, their talking points and their products that they want you to sell. And it's very product driven, very commission driven. 
they did start doing financial plans when I was at Merrill Lynch, but they were just these huge books that you got and you threw away. Uh, you never looked at it again as a broker anyway. You certainly didn't sit down with your client and revisit their plan. So what I do, it's called a registered investment advisor. I also just passed my certified financial planners uh, license. So I'm now officially certified as a CFP. And basically you take a financial planning approach first with your clients and you're learning about their situation now, where they want to be in five, 10 years. And then you recommend the accounts they should have, the products they should have, but, and I don't sell the products. I can put them in the stocks, but I don't make a commission. So I'm hourly, I'm fee only. It's like paying your accountant or your attorney for advice. That was going to be my next question as just to what a fee-only advisor is mm -hmm. and, and how that differs. So I take it that the larger firms, you make a commission. Uh, as you say, you just sell, 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 mm -hmm. um, and you get paid by your client. Right. Okay. Exactly. And as a advisor, I also manage investments. So I, I kind of look at my process as we do the financial plan and it's kind of the dating period. We're learning about each other. You're learning how I think and how I approach financial planning and investing. And then if they have assets and they say, you know, we like how you, uh, your philosophy for investing, we will put our money with you. Then that is another fee that's separate. It's not hourly. It's a percentage of their assets. Okay. One of the first guests I had on this podcast was a friend who was a financial advisor. And one of the things she really emphasized, and again, you've just hinted at it, um, but she really emphasized shopping around for an advisor that you're comfortable with. Yes. I actually met with a gal uh, over Zoom. It was her, it, what I call, are we a fit meeting? And I did ask her, are, I hope you're talking to others because you really need to do your due diligence and find out who you resonate with. And you know pretty well in the first 15 minutes after talking with someone, if they are, are listening and understand and repeat back what you are telling them. So yes, it's really important. I call it due diligence. Talk to two, three people. Uh, and if you're looking for that fee only, there are uh, websites that give you a list of fee-only financial advisors. Oh, okay. Well, that's handy too then. Yeah. So so let's get into the clients. What's the most common mental hurdle about managing money that you hear from most or hear most from women? Yes. I have heard words like floundering. I'm in the dark. And I hear a lot of sorries. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what are you sorry for? You, you know, you are just learning. You're just stepping into this. Please don't be sorry that you don't under, you know, you don't know everything. And then just, I think thinking that they are feeling too overwhelmed to, to even broach the topic of, okay, where do I begin? You know, what do I need to have in place? I know I want this in 10 years, but you know, I'm busy raising a family or running a business, you know, I just feel overwhelmed. And so their personal finances get set aside. And, and before they know it, a lot of time has passed, they may have been doing things willy nilly, and they just really want to get a better handle uh, about what they are doing and what they should be doing. So yeah, the mental hurdle is feeling overwhelmed, feeling dumb, embarrassed, you know, I, I, uh, we worked with Merrill Lynch. So I stepped out, raised my family and we worked with a broker at Merrill Lynch and I was embarrassed to talk to him and I know what I'm talking about. So it's really, you know, talking about money is um, a very vulnerable place to be. Where, where does a woman start? Now, it sounds to me like that plan has to be first, mm -hmm. depending on your age, I guess, sort of helps dictate or your your family situation shall we say help help dictate whoa helps dictate yeah the tongue twister <laughs> how far into the future so someone whose children are grown they're going to be looking at that retirement plan and beyond mm -hmm. uh, but someone just starting a family is probably thinking more about you know getting through the day-to-day -day and perhaps college university for the children that sort of thing 
Yes, it definitely depends on your timeline. You, uh, I have helped clients in their 30s and they just had a baby. And so there's a, a few more levers that you have to, to pull. There's college planning. There's their own retirement planning. Uh, first, you need to back up and say, hey, do you have an emergency account? If you become disabled or can't work, you know, you should have some money set aside for that. So there's just building blocks that you put together. Uh, certainly with the younger ones. And then I've worked with people 65 and they're looking to retire. And we look at, well, how much have you saved so far? What is social security going to add to that? And that becomes more about controlling your spending. So the younger you are, you have more time, you can save, put money away, grow it. The older you are, uh, you know, you've kind of run out of some time to save. So now we look at your spending habits and really try to get a handle on that and uh, make sure you don't outlive your money. It, it, and I'm just thinking if any of our listeners are sort of going like, oh my God, like I wouldn't know where <laughs> to start. I, I want to reassure them too that my financial advisor understands that I glaze over. Yeah. And, and it's not that I don't try. It's not that I don't do my homework. I glaze over. It's like some people and chemistry yeah. or physics, but she's just so, so patient. And so I just want to reassure listeners that, you know, by shopping around, you're going to find a Melinda or whomever that uh, can talk you through that and be patient, be patient. Yeah. And hopefully ask you, I love getting to know my clients. I like to run. So a lot of us have that similar activity and we talk about that. It's not just all about money. And we talk about, uh, you know, their dreams and their future. And it's, it's kind of fun. I hope their eyes don't glaze over. But I do have a girlfriend who I run with and she says the exact thing you just said. She goes, I hate going into our financial advisor's office. It's so boring, you know? And I thought, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I will reassure you that it's not boring for me. It's just uh, sometimes putting all the pieces in the okay. right order is, yeah. Got yeah. it. So we're, our audience are primarily mid-age women. Mm -hmm. Where would a mid-age woman start if she wants to invest her money? So I would definitely look at where are you? Are you 50? Are you 60? And uh, we look at a lot of women have at least saved. They either even have a CD or they have their money in a bank money market account. So that's a great start. And then if they have longevity in their family, uh, we may need to say, all right, well, let's look at the stock market because that stays ahead of inflation. Let's see if we can take some of your money and put it into the stock market so that it, you won't outlive your money. So that's the whole goal. If, if you're in your 50s or 60s and you have family that lives into their 90s, you have 30 years. And so it's important that we look at what you have, figure out, you know, your risk tolerance, what you can handle, you know, start maybe siphoning off some of it into the market and let that go grow and stay ahead of inflation. So I think it all starts with sitting down because each person's different uh, and seeing where they are and what they've done so far and how can we enhance what you're already doing. Uh, if you're not doing anything, then of course we just start with, all right, what can we start putting? I do have a client that she hasn't started saving. She's in her forties, but you know, I showed her if you do this every month, you know, $200 a month, you and your social security will kick in in 20 years, you'll be fine. And she, she literally cried. It made me feel so good. She's like, Oh, I felt so in the dark. And now I know if I just do, you know, a couple things, I'll be okay. So are, are there vehicles that are better than others for say, that 40-year-old woman. Um, and what, what do you mean by vehicle? Um, well, I mean, you've talked about the stock market. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's other places to put your money. The yes. stock market, it sounds like, I, you see here, I've got... I've <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of choices. Yeah, you're like, stock market is huge. I have a huge sign in the back here that shows you how the stock market has done. Well, and I was just thinking, though, that if you've said it stays ahead of inflation, because mm -hmm. right now, that's such a big, huge thing. It is now that inflation is 6%. So the vehicles that I use when I talk about the stock market, everybody, maybe most of your listeners have heard of mutual funds. So they are a basket of stocks that uh, you can 
buy for a dollar and you can own 50 different companies. Or I like index funds or exchange traded funds. They're less expensive than your mutual fund. And you're basically buying the market. There's the S&P 500. You're buying 500 companies. Uh, there's that type of index. There's, and I'll call them mutual funds, but the ones I like are less expensive, but you can buy a basket of stocks that are only small companies. You could buy a basket of stocks that are only international companies. So when I build a portfolio, I make sure that if we're in the stock market, that we're very well diversified, we're buying these baskets of stocks in all different parts of the economy so that as we see inflation go up or down or we're in a recession or a boom, you know, part of your portfolio is doing great. The other part might not be doing so great. And then it just ebbs and flows and your portfolio just stays very well rounded. I, I guess that's the word I would use. And then uh, because interest rates are up, it's a great time to buy a treasury bond or a CD or be in a money market. So I would say the last 20 years, many people had to be in the stock market more than may, they may have been comfortable with. But now I'm telling clients, hey, let's put 40% of your money in a treasury bill or a money market fund because you can earn four, four and a half percent. So be sure to definitely look at preserving part of your money too. And there's some uh, nice vehicles for that now. So is this where I sound like I'm talking, I know what I'm talking about. And I say, diversify, diversify, diversify. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there's, there's diversification is thrown around a lot. There's diversification between your assets and assets, meaning cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, you know, precious metals. So you diversify your money uh, amongst all those different asset classes. And then within those asset classes, like the stock market, you diversify among companies. Even in the bond market, you diversify your time frame. You buy a one-year treasury, you buy a five-year treasury. So diversification takes on many different levels, but it, it definitely needs to be employed uh, in every in facet of your investing. Many years ago, I'm trying to think if it was around 2000, um, I know somebody who lost a lot of money because she put everything into internet internet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that great black abyss out there and and yeah when it when it crashed you know she she lost everything her her retirement plan changed drastically that's very hard you know I had a big lesson uh, my husband did retire young around 50 and so we were and I was still raising our family so I took over our portfolio and it was beautiful. I had it nicely set up in the stock market and the bond market, but 2007 hit and things plummeted. And I learned a, a very valuable lesson. First of all, our kids were very young and we were young. We were not ready to retire. I don't know if your friend was just on the precipice of retiring, but I called up our broker because I wasn't in the business at that point. And one of our portfolios got lower than I was comfortable with. And I told them to sell. And that was the biggest mistake I could have made because had I not sold and just held on, you know, I had 20 years ahead of us that it would have come back. So then, you know, I sold and we had to slowly get back because you're mentally already like, I don't want to get back in the market. So I tell my clients, if you are getting close to retirement, then yeah, we should be getting more conservative in your portfolio and preserving more of the savings that you have. Um, but if you've got 10 plus years, don't touch it. It's so hard. I know I've done it. And, uh, but in the, you know, in the end you, you will be fine. So that's part of what I do too, is just mentally hold your hand and say, I know you want to sell, you know, maybe sell a little, but just really because I've experienced it and I've been around, I'm, you know, a boomer. Uh, I can literally tell you you're, you know, give it time. Yeah. Don't pull the trigger. Yeah, I was as you were saying that, I was thinking, I wonder how much hand-holding you do do in, in your business. Yeah. Because yeah. especially with less knowledge, I think it's really easy for clients to panic, thinking, oh, my God, the world's falling apart, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm going to lose everything, which is mm -hmm. a scary thought at any age, I think. Yeah, you know, it depends on your situation. If you need to sell, you need to sell because you need that money. Yeah, but I, I would quite think that that's where someone like you comes in handy because you're yeah. that, that voice of calm. 
Right. Okay. Let's look at your timeline. Yes. I, I try to be, I mean, you know, in 2007, I, I knew what I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but, but I, I think experience is the best teacher, right? Yeah. You know, I, I look at these young people and I think it's great that they're getting in the business, especially young women, but until you've experienced a downturn and really gone through it, 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 it you kind of go in thinking, Oh, I know what to tell my clients. I'll, I'll be fine, but it, it's not that easy. Yeah, I, I'll confess that uh, 2007, I was working for a company that matched my donations. Mm. And so when my statements would come each month, because I knew that the market was just going down, 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 I'd literally throw them in a desk drawer. I wouldn't open them. I'd throw them in a desk drawer and say, it's only my, my boss's money that's going down. Oh, I now. like it. That's good. <laughs> I don't know mine. how accurate that was. but Yeah, uh, but whatever yeah. gets you over that hurdle. So <laughs> I like that idea. Now, you say that there's three key things women should focus on with their money. Have we touched on that and just not specified? What are the three Let, key things? Yeah, let's, uh, the first key thing, well, security. Well, what I, you mentioned earlier about how I like to ask the question, the why question and the what. Basically, what does money mean to you? I asked that in the beginning of our relationship because uh, it's different. To some, it means security. Some it means independence or freedom or the ability to give. Uh, so you need to understand your why for money. And then if it is security, then, and I think it's for a lot of us, it's security. Uh, number one, you create that savings account that makes you feel secure, however much that has to be. Is it three months worth of salary, six months? So you definitely set up what I call your emergency fund. And so you feel secure if something happens to you. And again, that depends on you. It, does a year's worth of savings make you feel secure or just three months? And then secondly, another why is your value system. You may want to be able to give money away. You may want to be able to take your family on vacations. So then we talk about well, where should we put your money for that kind of value? Is that going to be 10 years from now? Then we can put it in this kind of investment. Uh, so really understanding what money means to you, why you're earning your money and how you want to use it dictates where we will save your money or invest your money. So I know that didn't answer things in one, two, three order, but um, so it's kind of the what, why and how, you know, Okay. What does money mean to you? Why do you want to earn money? Or why do you, what do you want to do with this? And then how, how do we save and invest this money according to your answers? Now you mentioned values. Mm -hmm. I, more and more people are hearing about, for example, environmentally friendly companies or those that go in and just, you know, mess up everything they touch environmentally speaking. Do you have insight into which companies would be good to invest in um, if someone really wants to be sure they're investing in, shall we say green for lack of a better word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, they're called ESG, environmental, social and green uh, or governance uh, type mutual funds. And they, there, I do know some good ones that depending on your values, there's one that just invests in women owned companies. And if that's what you're interested in, it's I think it's called the she, it has she in the name of it. Or if you don't want to be invested in tobacco products, there's mutual funds out there that don't invest in those companies. And it's getting even more sophisticated where you can build your own mutual fund and you know, leave out companies that you don't want in, in your portfolio. And I was just listening to a gentleman talk about that situation. And he said, you know, your your Exxons and Chevrons, I mean, they're gonna pay dividends. They're going, they're not going to go out of business if we don't invest in them. So there is that kind of, well, should I just, if I buy Exxon and I get my dividend, then I can use it for something good. So there's a balancing act there because a lot of ESG funds are not doing that well. So you want to earn money on your money. You also want to be able to have your value system played out, but do you do it by earning the money and then using it or, you know, investing in these funds that might not make you any money, but you feel good. So there's that balancing act we have to do. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, yeah. It, it, I guess you almost need a spreadsheet. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I love like, Excel. It's a great <laughs> tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it just comes down to a conversation with your advisor and if what you can do to help you sleep at night. Like everything else in life, mm-hmm. can, you, can you go to sleep at night? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you had an interesting question on your profile. You're a runner. How mm. are running and investing alike? I know. I love that. I named my firm Marathon Wealth Management because, you know, ob- the obvious answer is investing is a marathon, right? You you don't just buy and then sell and buy and sell. You, you buy and hold and then you sell when you need to take the, the profits and, and live on it. But uh, so it's a marathon of perseverance. If you're going to be in the stock market, it's, it's, it's a long-term play. Uh, I also think running takes discipline. It takes mental fortitude. It's not easy to get out every day. I, I was doing what's called streak running and I lasted three years and then I fractured my tibia, I think it was. And so, uh, but for three years, I had to be out every day. And as you know, our Northwest weather is rainy and cold. And so it takes a real fortitude to get your shoes on and go out the door and run. And I think um, for people who are investing and women, it just takes like, okay, I'm going to sit down, take the time and look at what I am doing right now and where I want to be. And that takes some discipline. And then once you do decide and get that plan, then you have to do the plan. And so that takes discipline too. So yeah, discipline, the long-term focus, perseverance, and just running with a buddy. I mean, doing investing and, you know, I also talk about women need to talk about money more with each other. And I, they're not, you know, some of my friends are not quite sold on that, but we need to know, it'd be interesting if we could say, what is your salary? What are you making in that job? You know, what are you saving here? I mean, it's just money, but I know we've all been taught it's very um, hush hush and, you know, it's tacky to ask, but so having a running buddy or having someone that you work with that, you know, you could talk about, this is what I'm doing and how's it working out for you? Can I just backtrack a minute and just sure. <laughs> determine that you did say street running, did you? Oh, streak, like a streak. No streak. Okay, you did say streak because that's what yeah. I heard. Not, you're, not thinking, <laughs> you're not naked. You're not naked doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you're streaking. Yeah, this could get, a, put a whole new angle to your firm if you're oh, that's streak true. investing. <laughs> that would be interesting. Okay, let, more... let's. Let's go sideways and tell us what streak running is. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. My friend in high school who got me into track, I didn't start track until 12th grade, so it wasn't a big career, Uh, but she, um, we connected on Facebook and she was part of this Facebook streak running group. And it's interesting because when I decided to do it that first day, you're like, I don't know if I can do this commitment, you know, run every single day. Uh, and everybody's on there encouraging you. And there's people that have been doing it for 30 years straight. It's crazy. So it's just a nice uh, group of people that encourage each other. I was actually over in London a few years ago, 2019, and met up with one of the gals that was on Facebook that was a streak runner. And we ran by Big Ben. And it, it was great. So It's just a community of people that encourage each other to get out and you have to just run a mile. So you can run a mile five days in a row. That's a streak. So, (laughs) okay. I have to show uh, fortitude paying attention to you because my, my mind is going like, streaking no no and then finally I thought no I misheard it has to be street <laughs> yeah no so. it no it's actually streak like your streaker yeah. but uh because you have a you have a streak of running you want to oh, make okay. that as long as possible but yeah I was bummed I couldn't continue it and I, I've done it a few more times but not for very long I actually forgot to run one day so that just shows your age yeah. Okay. Well, that was our uh, our humorous our segue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it doesn't have to be so serious, money. Ah, uh, dear. Resources for learning. Do you, can you recommend any? Well, I like uh, Susie Orman. She has a podcast that is great, and I think it. I like her tagline for for women and men who are smart enough to listen, something like that. So she has a great podcast. Answers real life questions. And she also has a book out for retirement. 
uh, over 50. And, you know, if you're one that glazes over, I, I, there's not a lot of exciting books out there. Uh, you can just do uh, Investopedia on Google. It, it, if you have a question, Google it. Uh, their Investopedia is a good resource or um, Kiplinger. Yeah, the books I read, I think, would be a little bit boring for most people. But podcasts uh, are a good, like just listening to you and the people you bring on that talk about how they stepped into things older or they persevered through this or, you know, even that kind of thing helps with uh, your mindset with money, just listening to people who are who are doing it. Well, it's interesting. Just you talk about my podcast. Mm -hmm. I've had maybe one or two other women. I've had several fellas on, and I, I try to spread them out so that people don't think it's the, the you know the financial advising podcast. But uh, you know, as the person on the other side of the mic, it's like, oh, that's interesting, and and I do learn tidbits. I mean, I may never do anything with it, but uh, just you know, rounding out my knowledge has been really helpful. Yeah, I think definitely the Wall Street Journal, you know, you could read that. Um, I, re I, I literally read the headlines. I do read it, but uh, there, there's a lot of meat there. Yeah, I, I think I, I know I, I should probably make a list of resources so I have them at, at the ready when, when I get asked that question. But uh, Well, that's OK. I think just, you know, if, if Susie Orman is talks to uh, the, the woman on the street, shall we say, yeah, um, that, that's helpful. Now, you mentioned how taboo the topic of money can be, and especially with us older people, boomers and older. Boy, oh boy, my father would have had a fit if I ever asked anybody, you know, what was in their bank account or how much they made or anything like that. And even now, if I ask a question, I always, well, I hope you don't mind me asking. I really mm -hmm. couch it. Mm -hmm. Besides just keeping that subject on the table, what should we be teaching our daughters or for some of us, our granddaughters? Yeah, I... I think this is important because of my own experience. My mother passed away young. I had just gotten married. I was 28. And so she was the one that paid the bills. You know, my dad was the one that went to work. And that's all I knew growing up. My mom organized the household. My dad went to work. And come to find out, she had this pretty nice sum of money that was passed down to her from her mother. And they were using that to pay for our college and go on vacations, but I had no idea about it. And I thought, wow, all this time, I just thought my dad made the money and my mom stayed home and she had stocks. I found the stock certificates and wrote about it a couple of years ago and her mother had bought them in AT&T and Chevron and so, and kept them. And so when her mother her dad was very, my grandfather was quite old, so he died. And then so her mom had to live off this money. And then I've come to find out my mom's living off this money. And then she passed away and my dad passed away. And so I have some of it and started my company. But I think mothers should talk to their daughters about what they have and if they're investing and how that looks. And that, you know, when you set up, set up a Roth account for your son or daughter when they turn 18, or actually you can open one earlier than that, but just talk about thinking about money. You know, it's not just the men that make the money. It's, you know, you can go out, you can invest, you can live off it and talk about how stocks can provide uh, for your future. And I just helped a, a young gal who just started a job and we looked over her 401k choices. So tell your daughter, when you get your job, ask the HR people, can I have a, a list of what mutual funds I can choose in my 401k. And can you explain them to me? Uh, you know, be interested in where you're putting your money and, and start putting your money away right away. You mentioned matching, you know, your company, find out if they match. So I think just making it a normal topic in your family and talking about the history, you know, my family, my daughter knows about my mother and how I learned and yeah. So just make money a pretty normal topic and not like a greed thing. Like, okay. You gotta go make money. Uh, but yeah, I think we just need to talk about it more. Now you mentioned your mom and dad, mm -hmm. a lot of women are in a situation if they're married that 
the husband, especially older women, the husband has taken care of all of the money and the investing and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if he passes before them, they don't have a clue what to do. What do you say to those women? Like, can you give them an overview without seeing what the husband has? Like, I mean, in terms of this is what you should think about, this is what you need to know, or would it really help you, for example, if they could come in together and then you could look at what they've got and no judgment, just explain to the the other person, usually the woman, what what's going on. I did just uh, have a meeting with a gal who, so I mainly work with single women, but I'm starting to get calls from women who are married and they want to know, I mean, they're involved in their finances, but the husband is kind of taking the lead and they want to bring me in to come alongside the both of them to, to explain to mainly her, you know, this is what you're doing right now. This is what you could do. And she said, I have ideas and I think we're not doing the right thing. And so it does sometimes take a third party, like you mentioned, to come in and sit down with the both of them and open up that conversation of what are you doing now? What are your goals and dreams with your money and get them both talking about it. And another gal I talked to just the other day, she went through a divorce and she said, I had no clue. He kept telling me, I got it. I got it. I got it. And he didn't, he didn't have her best interests at heart at all. So when they got divorced, she had to start all over again. So I would also advise that, you know, what's going on, you know, even between me and my husband, it's not easy. You know, I'll give him my suggestion and it's a back and forth, but definitely when those statements come in, you know, you threw them in the drawer, which is probably a good idea in 2007. (laughs) But when those statements come in, or if they're online, look at them, at least look at the bottom line. So you know what you have, and just be more involved, even if your eyes can glaze over, uh, just really try to, if you're the homemaker, or, you know, just try to really know what you have. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking that, yeah, if my eyes glaze over and I'm involved, you can imagine how that person feels when the husband has taken care of, I'm just talking genders here, but it Mm -hmm. could be either or, Uh, one person has taken care of all of the investing, retirement planning, whatever, and they pass away. Mm -hmm. Boy, if if you're completely illiterate in in this department, Yeah. yeah, boy. And that's one reason why I stepped back into it. it uh, I I think I wrote on my bio, I could be just enjoying Maui, you know, or just, <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, there's women my age that are losing their husbands and they really need to know. And it's not as scary as it seems, because I think it can seem, you haven't paid attention this whole time. You've been raising your kids or, you know, we're running your own business. So it's usually one partner does take more control over the finances, which is normal, but don't, don't be scared. Step in, ask your spouse, what are we doing? Where's the statements? Can I see? And I just wanted to really give women that courage and that ability to, to ask and to be aware. Definitely a situation where ignorance is not bliss. <laughs> no, it, it can feel like it, but it's not when, like you said, they pass away or get divorced. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about you for a moment. I understand, is there licensing? So you get to practice in a certain area and each financial advisor has their geographical in place. Is that true? Yeah, you can do uh, state specific, which is what I'm doing right now. Or you could register with the SEC, which would allow you to work nationwide with anybody. So I, I can work with five people in each state without having to register with the SEC. So I'm registered with Washington but I can have five clients in California or five clients in Wisconsin. So, but yes, I started out just in Washington, be part of my community. And you do have to, which I thought was fascinating 30 years ago, it wasn't as easy to just open your business and say, I'm here. Uh, But now with all the software and the ability to trade online and do Zoom, I am able to get my licenses which is a series 65 and the CFP, which is, I think, really important if you work with, which means certified financial planner. If you work with someone like me, I can get all that. And then I can meet people online, like I'm meeting you. And I can 
manage their investments through my computer. I can do their financial planning through my computer. It's it's so different than it was when I worked at Merrill Lynch 30 years ago. I mean, I miss seeing people in person. So I hope that will happen. But so far, everybody loves to just go over Zoom and not have to drive. So, but yeah, licensing is important. Compliance is a big piece of what I do. You know, I start out my day looking at, okay, have I, do I have all the records I need for all the trades I've done for all the communication I'm sending out? You know, that's a big piece when you're solo like me, making sure that all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed because the state of Washington does audits and that sort of thing. So you want to be, and you're handling money. So you want to be sure that you're starting out your day like that. So just to clarify two things is you can never go across the the national border, the international border then. Mm, That's true. Are you international? I bet people hear you from all over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, And I'm just sort of thinking that, you know, make sure that you do have someone preferably in your own state province, but also the country, the country borders are not crossable. Yeah. And I I think I wouldn't want to cross because I don't know the monetary system over in Europe. So yeah, good point. Oh, and you're in Canada, isn't Victoria? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There's a geography lesson for the day. (laughs) Right. Well, I have a girlfriend on San Juan and I think she was pointing at Yeah, Victoria or something. I'm like, is that Victoria? And she had to give me a geography lesson. (laughs) No, you're looking at Vancouver or something. I don't know. Beautiful area. It is. Well, yeah, we're neighbors. Mm -hmm. One thing that you just mentioned that just your opinion on is robo advising. I've been seeing that in the last year or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to, uh, my kids certainly do it. They have learned their lesson though. Last year, everything was down, but they just started investing in uh, the robo advisors. It's easy to do. I think it's okay if, in my opinion, if you have a little money you want to quote unquote play with and you want to buy, you know, Facebook or some kind of stock Tesla that, and I'm not recommending that, but if you just want to see how it it does, robo advising is great. But I think for your actual long-term vision and plan, you should have someone um, that you, you should have a plan first of all. So work with someone like me and then that money should be intentionally and you could take that plan and use a robo advisor i suppose to invest if that advisor has told you buy this buy this buy this then yeah you can go to the robo advisor and do that it's just the performance reporting the rebalancing that sort of thing is something you would have to do if you used a robo advisor because i always tell my clients getting in is the easy part knowing when to sell is the hardest part so that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because it, it has that whole, you know, when there's no person involved, I presume yeah. there's no person involved. I just get a little nervous that what, yeah. what, the, what are the parameters for, you know, right. It, buy, you know, do you, hold. Right. Do you sell when you're up 20%? Do you sell when you're up 10? You know, these are kind of things you need to have. And parameters is a good word you know, know your parameters and discipline, stick to it. Don't let your emotions run ahead. (laughs) Easier said than done sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think mid-age women should think about? I think I, what I have found is as a middle-aged woman, stepping into new things, constantly learning, you know, don't say, all right, I'm 50. Personally, I'm 56. I am done raising my family. I think I'm washed up. You know, I just, I think that we need to continue to encourage each other to branch out to, if you had a love back in your twenties or thirties and you, you know, do it again, if it's art, pottery, for me, it was financial uh, advising, you know, step back in and take the, have the courage, listen to as many podcasts as you need to which is what I did. And then just step in and just inch by inch slowly, you know, build your life that you want in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. And a lot of times that takes needing to meet with a financial planner to see how uh, you can put those pieces into place to help you live the dream you want. 
uh, money should be fun. Money should be used for um, your passions and for others. So, yeah, I think we we don't need to be so serious about it, but we do need to be intentional with our money. Okay, so this woman is, uh, children are gone. She's looking at semi-retirement. She used to love numbers and she used to do all the banking and the bookkeeping for the family. Is there an age limit to becoming a financial advisor or a financial planner? I love that question. I just posted on my LinkedIn my age and that I just got the certificate, the CFP. It's a, it's a six hour test. It's not easy. So, you, you know, you do wonder like, could my brain do this? And my brain did do it. So I don't think there's an age limit. I think as long as you are uh, able to track and um, remember and keep organized uh, as far as uh, being a financial advisor, I would, I mean, there's women that do it in to their late seventies. So I think experience speaks volumes. Uh, And so I, because I did wonder about my age and how people would see that, but I think they see it as like, she's been in this life for a while. She's experienced uh, ups (laughs) and downs of the market and she's raised kids and she knows what sending people to college is like. And so I I don't think age should be a barrier unless you want to, I mean, even doing triathlons or Ironmans, you could be any age. So Yeah. And that's why I love that you have these podcasts because it is inspiring. Be an outlier. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And you know, it's interesting because my group of friends are fabulous. I love them. But when you do step out, it's an interesting dynamic. They're like, what? (laughs) I thought you were this and now you want to be that. So you also have to break through that perception. Just as we're talking about this, it occurred to me that um, my brother did some training in his younger days and he had what might be called a blue collar job. Mm -hmm. And I said, you're perfectly placed because a lot of blue collar workers would be happy talking to you in your denims and logger shirt as opposed Mm -hmm. to a three piece suit. Mm -hmm. Now he never went down that that path and that's okay. But, um, you know, a lot of older women might be really quite comfortable getting their knowledge from another older woman who's yes you know stood the I test agree. of time and and yet has all the the latest knowledge because she's only just gotten her certification or licensing or whatever right exactly and I can tell you're an encourager so that's wonderful <laughs> just going, hmm. I know right what are you going to do next <laughs> yeah right uh dear I think those glazed over eyes are here I mean it's not for me um <laughs> You have a sign up on your website for wealth wisdom. Is that something everyone could benefit from? Or is it specific to like Washington State or the US or something like that? Oh, no, I think everyone could benefit from uh, I do a blog. uh, And that's also something uh, I send most people to Uh, the wealth wisdom. I would be probably just sending you my blog if you sign up for wealth wisdom. Um, Or if it's a specific thing you need to know about, I can send you information about that. So yeah, I write about the American economy. I write about money mindset. Yeah, it's very universal. Yeah, yeah. So where do we find you on the World Wide Web? (laughs) It's uh, my website is marathonwealth and then mgt.com. And make sure about that. (laughs) Well, I've got it right here. Marathon Wealth. Yeah, make sure about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there's a marathon wealth oil out there that uh, you uh, don't get me confused <laughs> with. Um, well, they're in the news all the time. I, I put the links in the show notes. So that's oh, thank okay. you so much. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you're on social media? Yes, I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm not really posting a lot on Instagram. So I mainly just blog. And that's my main social outreach. Yeah having browsed through your it's on another monitor over here in case you're oh, wondering what I'm looking at Mark. Um, uh, having browsed through your website I can really recommend to listeners that both the blog and the resource areas mm-hmm. you've got some really good subjects there that might need tweaking for a different country but the the okay. basic information is is great yeah and and your blog seems like you know really good well I'm curious what it, what about Canada it, what is different in Canada than America for investing in stock market or is that a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> well my understanding 
with eyes glazed uh-huh. over is first of all the percentage that you can have offshore matters we don't have 401ks we have a variety of other vehicles whether it's rsps or tf tfsas or tax-free savings accounts um, that you can put a certain a given amount in each each year so and then yeah financial advisor puts it is that through employers the ttsa or is that no no you can just open one yourself if you want but like so many things where that money actually gets invested if a person's brave enough to do it themselves that's great but right. um, I let my financial advisor <laughs> Good. and uh, yeah I'm happy to hear I mean it could be a woman or a man but it, what uh, one last thing I realized stepping into the solo I forget I do meet with a woman who's mid-30s and she works with a group and they're mainly men and I forgot that feeling of uh, she's like yeah pretty much I'm the only one that's getting promoted. They haven't promoted women, you know, in the last 10 years. And I'm like, what? So it's still happening, unfortunately, but um, there are more women stepping into it. And, you know, being solo is great. You you don't have that pressure of, you know, feeling like the only woman in the room, (laughs) even though, even though I am, but that's Uh, my choice. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, that's great. Okay. So the website link will be in the show notes. Thank you. All of the links, including social media and stuff, will be on in your bio at the website. Thank you, Agnes. Listeners, again, I do recommend that you go check out uh, the blog. Great information in there. Thank you, Agnes. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, it's been a treat. Um, listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening, or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's Podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. Share this episode with your women friends. Our money isn't going as far as it used to, so we need to be smart about it and be a part of our investing. I might add here that you, if you or a friend has never bothered about it because your partner, husband, whomever does, it's even more important. Melinda Satterley, thank you for being my guest today and sharing your expertise with us. It's been great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I appreciate all you do for the world out there with through your podcast. Well, thank you for being a part of it. Have a great rest of the week.